Welcome to the Earth's Edge podcast. I'm your host, James McManus. At Earth's Edge, we run guided expeditions with a focus on environmental and cultural sustainability. We created this podcast to share stories from people who have found the outdoors and fallen in love with adventure. Each month, we're giving away one of our summit jackets worth 150 euro. To be in the running, all you need to do is subscribe to our mailing list at earths-edge.com forward slash podcast. There's a link in the show notes. Now for today's guest. Victor, our Russian guide, looked me dead in the eye and he said, Elbrus, big mountain. It's there for many years. You? There's only one of you. And I kind of said, hmm, yeah, no, that's fair enough. That was Robbie O'Rob, who unfortunately got sick while climbing Mount Elbrus in 2019 and didn't make the summit. Rather than feel sorry for himself, he dusted himself off and signed up to go back again this summer. What a legend. We also talk about the ending of a bad relationship being the catalyst for him finding the outdoors and repairing his mental health. We start out talking about growing up and going on adventures in Drimna in South Dublin. So let's dive in there. I was never your stereotypical Drimna head. I was far more interested in reading books, being a bit of a nerd. I only came to to the party in regards to like, you know, hanging out on street corners and collecting tires for Halloween when I was a little bit a little bit older. But yeah, no, I was I was quite lucky. Um I'd say I was sheltered for at least the first 10 years or 11 years of my life um, from the from the hardships of Drimna. Were you into going on adventures when you were a kid? I spent a lot of my time, a lot of my childhood with my auntie, my dad's sister. And uh, she had this back garden that was straight out of like an Enid Blyton novel. And I would spend all my summers there just coming up with weird things to do in a garden just exploring the garden you know like just i i had a snail farm um <laughs> i i <laughs> i had a shoe box that i filled with a hundred snails thinking that i was going to breed a snail army and it i i did not succeed they escaped yeah my adventures in the back garden kind of got me to to the snail farm stage right on the back of her, her garden there was um lansdowne valley that kind of became the extension to the garden. You know, I'd spend a lot of time there as I got older. And, you know, it's the sort of place they used to, they used to um, break horses there. And you'd find like horse jawbones and all sorts of gnarly stuff like that floating around in the river down there. And you'd, you'd kind of think you were, you're after striking gold. You're like, yeah, man, I'm after finding a dinosaur. This is going in a museum and I'm going to be loaded for life. Like, yeah, I think that was as far as my adventures <laughs> went. They were pretty tame. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is great though. Like when you think back of those times in your childhood, like what, what entertained us in regard to adventure. Now we have to fly halfway around the world to find a big mountain yeah. to, to satisfy that itch. So yeah, that's cool. And Kamira, you were telling me off air like about your career today, man, which I think is really fascinating. Like considering you just turned 30. Um, so you did your leaving certain finished school when you were 16 and you sort of studied creative writing. You got into the music industry, worked in security for seven years. While you're doing that, you're training as an actor. 
and then finally found your current passion working with people with intellectual difficulties at St. John of God's. Have I got that right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you missed a small period of time when I was like 20 and I decided I wanted to be like the next Mick McCarthy. And I, I tried to be a football coach for about three months and uh, <laughs> it was not for me. <laughs> but yeah, no, then I came out of school and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And all those little bits that I, I thought were useless in the past kind of all meshed themselves together and became... Um, a really happy and fulfilling career. Mm. So Camille, you were telling me as well, um, now with the pandemic, like obviously there's nothing going on face to face, but you're coordinating Zoom classes for all your clients, like, and they're doing different stuff like drama, baking, sports, book club, Zumba. And you're even, you, you told me now you weren't like leading any of the Zumba classes, but I'm kind of finding it hard to believe like you have that <laughs> kind of, some instructor vibe off you but you're stepping in and doing all that stuff it's amazing work man and so like total respect like it's 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 class like cheers cheers yeah it's a bit of a silver lining that's that's kind of come out of, of the pandemic is that you know i get to i get to see a lot of new faces and fair enough they're on zoom usually in my day-to-day i would have been working with it with a group of 17 people and and a, and a small staff team but now I get to see upwards of 60 people on Zoom every day and I get to work with a whole lot of different, you know, talented instructors who come in and, and give their talents and their time to our platform. And it's kind of given what was already a rewarding job a completely different aspect. Yeah, for sure. It's such a gift, isn't it, to have passion in your work and enjoy it like so, hey, come here. You were telling me off air how a bad breakup led to you finding the outdoors. And I think it's so common for breakups or trauma in general to lead to huge change, positive life changes. But tell the listeners what happened in your case. Like, so I'm an only child, and you know, the only male figure that I had was my dad. And my, my dad's a lovely, lovely man and a fantastic guy, but he's from a generation where just being the 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 man I suppose um and all that comes with that um was his bread and butter you know he he wanted to be the one that provided and he, he wants to be the one that you know took the burden away from myself and my mom but that comes with a cost that that can that can kind of make you focus on other people's happiness rather than your own that's what I thought was completely normal and and it was it was normalized for me because that's all I saw in, in my male role model. So, you know, I had a couple of relationships through teenage years and, and then college, um, and they all kind of had that same intensity that I'd kind of look at it and kind of say, why why am I not getting the happiness that I need out of this? And and, and why, is, why is the person that I'm with not 100% happy all the time? So it, it kind of came to, to a head in 2018. I had been in a two-year relationship at that stage and it, I, we quickly moved in together and I, I, moved, I moved from Dublin to Mead and it was like the volcanic eruption of all that stuff that had gone on in my life up, up until that point. I cut myself off from my friends. I wasn't earning a lot of money in the job I had at the time. I was spending what little I did have traveling up and down purely because I wanted this relationship to work because 
my self worth came from that 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 relationship being happy and healthy. When in reality, neither of those things was true. Mm. After a long time of kind of not talking about the issues, I remember sitting on the couch and just kind of saying, "We shouldn't be together." And we agreed. <laughs> and, um, within an hour, I think she she had left. So I because of the value that I had put onto that relationship and every relationship before that, I kind of found myself really empty and I didn't know what to do. You know, if I can't make these things work, then where does my worth come from? And such an unhealthy mindset that I was in, I kind of found myself empty and at the bottom of a dark hole. And I texted one of my very good friends and I said, man, this is after happening. I'm in a bad way. And he rang me back straight away. And he said, man, I've had six pints and I'm on a bus home, but I want to come and find you. (laughs) I went and I got him and we picked up another friend on on the way back. And we went back to to me and and we just sat in the house. And it was then that, you know, I could start to see a bit of a route out of the, the pit that I got myself into. You really found the outdoors then after that, pretty much straight away. Yeah, you uh, you started hiking. I did. My my thing was that I'd I'd always put you know hiking at the bottom of my CV because I thought it made me sound cool and interesting, and like people would want to hire me because if you can pack a bag, you can do most jobs. I suppose that was my logic. But I I, I never actually committed to hiking. I remember it so specifically. The fourth of April, there was still snow all over the place. And I just did the spink and I I knew that I was doing it just for myself. I, I wasn't doing it to make my partner happy. I wasn't doing it to, to impress friends. I wasn't doing it to fulfill something that was on the bottom of my CD for the last like 10 years. Yeah, I was, I was doing it because it would fill me because I was empty and because I, I, I knew that I needed something to, to fill me up and Whatever it was, whether it was just it was just nature, it was just like, okay, I'm here and I'm mm-hmm. what you need and and come out and, and explore. And that was when I that was when I started to to, to climb my way back out of, of things. Yeah, it's hard to put your finger on the on the magic of being outdoors. You know, I was gonna ask you that, like if it was someone else in your position two years ago, like in you were trying to talk them into going on a hike, like what is it about it? Like, how would you define that or can you define it? Well, after that, I became a fairly avid hiker. Like I was out every weekend and I I remember at work, I just printed off like this list of like, you know, 10 hikes to do in Ireland. And I was just clocking them off every weekend. But I, start, I started taking friends out with me and there's a healing to, to getting out in, into nature and there's a slowing down of the mind to this day, I'll, I'll get a text off a friend where they're like, yeah, I kind of feel a bit weird and I think I need a hike and we'll just we'll just head out and we'll just go. It's, it's out of the norm to begin with. You know, we're so used to being surrounded by four walls all day, you know, and you're outside of that zone. You can drink in all that there is out there. You become aware of, of how grand and how, how spacious places are. Um, and I, and I, it puts it puts you in your place. I think you know you kind of feel a little bit smaller. If you're standing down the bottom of the Devil's Ladder, you're kind of like, okay, 
I'm not that important. <laughs> um, yeah. You're like wonderfully, wonderfully insignificant, I think is how I would put it. Like, it's so nice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And your problems go with that as well. Once you kind of let go of how not important you are, <laughs> then you also let go of how insignificant your problems are in the grand scheme of things as well. And I'm a big, I'm a big advocate of silence as well. Like, you know, getting out and just being quiet and listening to the winds blowing through whatever. Like some of my favorite moments have been waking up in a tent with the rain pouring down. Mm. And it's just that, just that sound, just that quiet and then just nature doing its thing. Let's take a break there for some quick fire questions. What was your first job? I was a till attendant in Easton's in O'Connell Street. What song is always on your workout playlist? I don't listen to music when I'm working out or anything like that. But if I had to pick anything, it would be literally anything by Pearl Jam. Anything at all. Nice. What are you reading right now? I just finished Mark Adams' book, Turn Right at Machu Picchu. Excellent read. Yeah, I've really, really cool. man. I think he followed the same path that you guys do now. Oh, true Chucky Corral, yeah? Yep, yeah. Such a cool track. If you were stranded on a mountain with one celebrity, who would it be? Dave Grohl. What's your favorite food to eat in a mountain? I'm going to call them drummy fids. They're actually, you know, those little drumstick sweets. But the reason that I call them drummy fids, when we were on Elvis, we couldn't actually decide on a name for them what they should be called so we all call them drummy fids and now it's a case that like if you're in a shop and you're pointing at something that you want you're calling them drummy fids and people have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) what's your favorite piece of kit it has to be my osprey backpack because it's been with me from day one yeah they're very popular amongst hikers all right what's your biggest pet peeve when traveling I would have to say the the calm before the storm in the hotel. When you get there and you're kind of just itching to to get going and get on the road, you kind of have to have your couple of days of, of settling in. I just kind of want to hit the ground running. You're just absolutely mad for a bit of hardship to get out in the hill, yeah? yeah? <laughs> Lovely. If money wasn't a factor, what would you do all day? Hike all day. Cool, man. And describe yourself in three words. I'm caring, thoughtful and mischievous nice two complimentary and one yeah three complimentary that's deadly man so dude you 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 caught the bug pretty hard like so that was march 2018 and that october right you were on killy yeah even before that man so i i went for that first hike in april and by payday at the end of april i put my deposit on an august trip for for killy deadly yeah jesus fair going yeah and and then i knew i needed to get my ass in gear and, and, and that's what that was another one of the reasons why i was out every weekend just like pumping it up and down the hills because <laughs> i needed to get after two years of sitting in traffic on the m3 i needed to get fit and get yeah, out yeah. there it was like the grand thing that i i did for myself yeah, so I booked that trip and, oh man, just just fantastic. It honestly could have been any trip because of that feeling of just doing it for myself, but I think Killy was the perfect trip. I know a lot of people start out with Killy and yeah, man, it was the perfect trip. Just the group that we had, 
Um, we had Terence as our guide. Uh, we had Josie who came along as, as um, she was kind of shadowing Terence. Yeah, she's training. Cool. Yeah, yeah, we had a fantastic group. You know, I'm talking about how much I love nature and getting out there. You, you can kind of see a bit of everything on Killy. Like you have to basically what's a jungle down the bottom and then you're moving up onto this like moonscape that's just like volcanic rock and then you have like snow at the top as well it has it has the whole shebang and uh, I, I like I've, I've listened to the podcast and everybody mentions the porters that are that are there and then we had good luck and fuso anybody who's been will know fuso yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah man amazing well, trip. yeah they're amazing people and uh how's that summit feeling then robbie like how was that for you man You'd, you'd probably have to ask somebody who was there with me. Um, <laughs> there's there's a few foggy moments in my memory. But, you know, I, I can specifically remember heading out on summit night and it all became very real. Up until that point, yeah, it had been hard and it had been hard going and, you know, altitude is what it is. But standing there in, in the group in pure darkness... And just kind of getting ready and kind of saying, yeah, this this is this is it. We're going for it. And Terence does a lovely thing where he'll give everybody a hug before you head out. And it's, nice. it's almost so unexpected because, you know, Terence is like a pretty chill and cool character. And then he comes at you with this hug and you're like, oh, my God, this this is like the Fonz giving me a hug because he's he's cool. And and like now he's hugging me. <laughs> I over-layered. Um, yeah. So I, I think I went out with like seven layers on the bottom, like four on top and a big down jacket. And after about half an hour, I was like, guys, uh, no, <laughs> this isn't working for me. <laughs> so yeah, I was I was a bit naive back then. So you know, it happens to the best was on a big mountain, man. Thermal regulation is, is, is a lot uh, tougher than it sounds, you know? Yeah, the, the rule that I go by now is, is something that... Uh, Dr. Owen told me on Elbrus, he said, uh, be bold, start cold. And that's what I go with now. Okay, well, I don't know if I quote Dr. Owen myself, but um, <laughs> yeah, a little bit cold is good. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. A little bit, and then you, then you heat yourself up. Mm. But uh, I, I remember coming back from from Killy and kind of people were asking what Summit Night was like. And I can only describe it as, as you're walking through a dream, basically. You're looking around you and it's just starry skies and you kind of feel like you're almost floating you know you're up so high and um coming up to Stella Point my god that thing never ends I, I remember seeing like rows upon rows of headlamps like just going up and up and up for what seemed like miles yeah I got to a point where um good luck our guide um who everybody falls in love with at some stage he just came over and he just popped a little blackjack into my mouth and he was just like you just need a little bit of sugar and you're you're golden and then getting to Stella Point was amazing and that's where I had my my little emotional moment because it felt like the culmination of repairing the damage of 27 years I'd started repairing that in like March of 2018 and then by August of 2018 I had done such a massive amount of work on myself that it just kind of came out of me there at Stella Point. And, you know, there was a couple of us that that sat down on a rock together. And, yeah, we had our little moments there. And then, of course, you have to move on. 
and you've another 45 minutes ahead of you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Were you one of those poor people who thought Stella was the top or were you, were you just having a rest? Nah, nah, nah. I, I, I'd done enough research on it to know. But when, so for my, for my whole journey to get there, because I don't know, I, I, I'd started to find out stuff about myself and about what it is to be, I suppose, a man and, you know, not in the stereotypical sense, but what it really is. And and I stripped away all the, the notions that I had about what a man was supposed to be. And I started to track that journey as I was training and as I was getting there. And I was, you know, writing these posts on Instagram with bits of advice that I picked up and learned about myself on the way. But with each of them, I would take what I called my gobshy photo, where I'd get to a summit and I'd pull the stupidest face that I could and I'd give it a big yeah. pump up, like... I thought to myself, man, I, I have to, the, the culmination would be taking a gobshite photo on top of Killy. Mm. Me being stupid, I had left my phone in an outside pocket of my down jacket. So it was at like 1% when we got to Stella Point. And I thought, oh no, like I've come so far. This this isn't going to last to take my gobshite photo. Lindsay, one of the girls who was there with us, she said, stick it down your pants. <laughs> And my altitude brain was like, that's a great idea, Lindsay. Let's go with that. So there at Stella Point, when I'm, you know, feeling a bit altitude-y and I have my seven layers on the bottom and a couple of more layers on top, it takes me a good 10 minutes to actually get my phone and pop it down my pants. The logic behind the effort of doing that was, was outrageous. Then, of course, we take 10 steps forward. And I hear Lindsay behind me saying, Robbie, is, is that your phone on the ground? <laughs> it just slid right down my leg. <laughs> so, well, I, I popped it inside the jacket. And by the time I got to, to the summit, it was uh, it was good to go. So I got my gob show photo. Very good, man. It's it's really interesting to say that uh, you had that moment in Stella Point where you're talking about 27 years of healing. You know, and it's, to be honest, it's so cool to, to hear that because... That's really what we're all about and all the team like Terence and Josie and Sam and Owen and myself and JB and L and Ariana and Asian. That's that's what keeps us going working, especially through the pandemic, is like getting to I mean, we didn't climb the mountain for you or carry you up there, but to facilitate that for you is just absolutely awesome, man. So fair play to you for topping out and Kitty. That's sick. Sweet, sweet. So come here, the following year, you went and did Elbrus, Europe's highest mountain. How was that? It was very different. So I, I, I'm the sort of guy who, once I've kind of like done something, I like to up the stakes a little bit. Um, you know, I've run, I've run a couple of marathons and the first marathon that I ran was off the back of doing a 5K Santa run because I was like, that 5K was, was easy. I can do a marathon. There's no kind of middle with me. So I kind of, I had done Killy and then I was like, yeah, seven summits. Let's go for it. Let's let's make that effort. And I was like, what's the next logical step? And Elbrus was that. So yeah, I, I booked to go to Elbrus. And that was that was a very different experience training-wise. I remember we went for the um the training weekend and John Healy was was our, our guide on that weekend. With Elbrus, you know, it's advised that you train with about 15 to 20 kg in your bag which I had never done before. So we headed off into 
down around Glendalock and we stopped there after about 45 minutes of walking and John said, okay, we're going to weigh your bags now. I'm there in the background, like panicked, pushing rocks into my bag to make it seem like, <laughs> you know, I know what I'm doing. And by the time John got to me, I put enough rocks in that I'd have, I was at 15 kg and he was like, cool, you're, <laughs> you're good to go. So, of course, then I'm not going to take the rocks back out. I strapped them onto my back and we walked for another 45 minutes. And as I'm walking along, I'm thinking, how can I get my deposit back? How can I <laughs> get out of this? Because, man, I was I was dying at that stage. I was just, I really felt the extra weight. And, you know, I, I, I'd, kept, I'd kept hiking over the winter. Um, but I always kind of have this logic that if you can push through the first 45 to minutes to an hour of of any kind of hike of any time you're struggling your body will kind of find a way to regulate and you'll you'll get there and thankfully that's what happens after about another 15 minutes i was i was pretty good and then i just i kept i kept training with that with that 15 kg on my, on my bag on my back you know, I'd go out to the Sugarloaf after work and I'd sprint up it. I think I, I got it down to, I don't know, maybe like eight, nine minutes to the summit with the bag nice. on. And yeah, I don't know if that's a good time, but in my head, I was like, yeah, that's pretty G. Like, I'm happy with that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I trained really hard for that. I couldn't tell you on Sugarloaf. Sorry, I've never done it, but... Um, You've never done the Sugarloaf? Oh, I've never been up the Sugarloaf, no. Like, you're not missing a whole lot. There's a lot of, lot of rubbish up there. Um, because <laughs> sounds like a good nine minutes sounds good though, man. It sounds pretty fast to me, you know. For appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Good job. <laughs> so yeah, then then the whole Elbrus experience all around, and yeah, Rush is a Rush is a, a place. Um, it's an experience. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was kind of going there with the with the Rocky Four idea in my head, and <laughs> no, it was it was cool. Another another cool group. We had a. Mr. Sam Benson leading us on that. Um, lovely, lovely guy. And yeah, again, group was fantastic. And there's there's still people from that group that like I'll I'll text and hang out with regularly. And yeah, then getting to getting to Elvis, getting to, to base camp, you know, you're you're kind of going along these little dirt roads that uh you think you you think are built especially for like top gear specials, but they're not, they're real roads. And you rock on into into base camp, and I I did have a bone to pick with the lads because we were separated into like our big lads cabin, and I I got in pretty early and put my sleeping bag down, and I thought there that's cool, like I've got myself a nice little corner there. I should explain that the place that you're sleeping is essentially a massive wooden slate um, that's slightly raised off the ground and it fits about nine bodies on it and uh, I got my corner and I thought that's great that's where I'm going to do it I'm right close to the door I can get out to pee during the night no problem mm-hmm. and sure I came back from you know a trip to get some water and uh, my sleeping bag had been moved into the very very center at the very back <laughs> of 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 the cabin so yeah, you're ending up getting pretty up close and personal with with your group. Then you know people who were strangers to me two days previously. I was now sleeping in between them at very close proximity. But yeah, then you know we we kind of headed off to a couple of acclimatization hikes, and then we headed up to to high camp. And you're just you're getting such amazing views of the coxes up there. Like it's just. Um, 
and and just having you know Elbers, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, it has like kind of the, the two peaks to it, and just having that in the background there, and the moon setting behind it, or moon rising and the sun setting on the other side, amazing place, and all was going very very well. You know, I was I I wasn't feeling to altitude I was I was tipping along at a, at a really good pace. You know, Sam said that he expected me to, to summit, you know, quite handily, you know, because I had done the work. Then, you know, we're, we're ready to, um, we're settling in for summit night. You know, we got our, our early dinner and we were settling down early. I kind of felt a little something going on internally that I hadn't expected to feel. I spent... A lot of hours getting into close proximity with a long drop um, on Helpers. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I I spent a lot of time, you know, up and down. And then at a certain stage, you know, I think we were due to head out at maybe like 1 or 2 a.m. I just said it to, to Dr. Owen. I was like, man, there's something not right here. And explained from what had been happening and gave me a couple of tablets. But you know, nothing was staying down at that stage. I said, "Yeah, okay. I'm. I'm just going to try. I'm going to. I'm going to give it my best shot. It's about 100 yards, maybe 200 yards through the boulders to get to the crampon point. My walking poles were splayed all over the shop. I, I could barely stand up going through the boulders. I got to the point where everybody else was putting on their crampons. Sam came over and he was like, "Look, man, it's it's your choice. You know." Whatever you want to do, I'll support you. What he really meant was, go back to camp, you absolute nut job. <laughs> I'm not being responsible for your death, but I want you to feel like it's your choice. <laughs> Good guidance right there. And um, yeah, and then Victor, our Russian guide, looked me dead in the eye and he said, Elbrus, big mountain. It's there for many years. You, there's only one of you. Yeah, and I kind of said, hmm, "Yeah, no, that's fair enough." And uh, yeah, then I made the decision to to head back to to high camp. Um, Victor came with me, but before I left, you know, when I'm on a mountain, I like to like to read and I like to write a little bit as well. Um, and every summit night, I usually read like a poem or something that I've written, just about the experience with the group. Yeah, so there, there's me on the side of Elbrus while everybody else is getting their crampons on. And I'm like, Sam, Sam, can I do my poem? <laughs> He's like, well, if you want. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. Guys, guys, I'm going to do my poem. Can you, can you gather around? <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, we're putting our crampons on. Go away. <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool. I'll save my poem till tomorrow when you get back down. It'll be great. <laughs> um, and yeah, then I stumbled back with, with Victor guiding me back to the camp. And uh, thankfully, um, one of the girls, Neve, she decided against something. Thankfully, she was back there in our in our little dome that we were we were all sleeping in. And uh, she was pretty sound to me and made sure I got lots of green tea into me. And uh, yeah, sure. By by the morning, I was I was right as rain, and I think that was a bit of a kicker because you know on Elbridge you always have your your spare summit day. Mm. So the fact that I was okay the next day and 
you know, everybody else summited and it was amazing, but I was kind of, I was dashing around camp and I was kind of like, is there anybody that can take me up? Like, I'll pay, I don't care, I'll do whatever. Like, as long as I get to go up, I've done all the work, I'm okay now. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there wasn't. That's life, man. It's it's um, the only people really that haven't had um, some of the times for people that haven't climbed that, that many big mountains. So, you know, yeah. it just happens to us. But the cool thing, man, is before you even got back from Russia, back to Ireland, you'd already contacted us and booked on again to go in 2020, which is now 2021. But total respect for that, man. You were just going like, right, I'm coming straight back out as soon as I can to do this again. That's Yeah, I think I, I think I had unfinished business. I think I know Louise, who was on a, a podcast a couple of weeks ago, you know, she mentioned that it's, you know, she's never a summit bagger. That's kind of the same for me, that I'm much more about the journey of getting there, the people that I meet and how I'm growing as a person, because the end goal was never the summit. The end goal, I still don't know what it is. I still don't know what the end goal is, because the reason that I'm doing these things that I'm challenging myself is because I want to continually grow. Mm-hmm. And learn and i still haven't figured out what the end goal is and i don't think anybody ever really should yeah that's cool man i really like that so i think you're the perfect person to offer tips to someone think about getting into hiking and taking on a big mountain like you only started hiking properly in march 2018 and Mm. five months later you were standing on top of killy which is pretty impressive like what advice would you have for someone in a similar situation to you then if that makes sense well, make sure that you're doing these things for the right reasons. As I, as I keep banging on about it, it has to be completely for you. You know, if, if it's not, if it's for anybody else, when the times get hard, you're not going to have the mindset to get through those hard times. So make sure you're doing it for the, for the right reasons. You know, you guys are fantastic for the likes of me who was a novice at the time, you know, and you're incredibly supportive and you make everything very black and white. There's literally a list of things to buy and half of the stuff on it, I didn't know what it was when I started hiking. <laughs> the training weekend for Killy, I showed up in a cotton t-shirt and Under Armour and Brian Bates and was like, he pulled me aside and he was like, man, I'm just, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to make a point of you and show people what not to wear on a hike. <laughs> um, and that's the level that I was at. You know, I, I never felt unsafe or I never felt like the guidance that I was given was doing anything other than preparing me so make sure you're doing it for the right reasons make sure that the people that are taking you to these places know what they're doing that they're good and that they're on the same page as you talk to people that are going on the trip with you because you'll get great advice and people you know people are great sounding boards and then if you do make the decision get out and train your arse off there's nothing worse than getting to a mountain and being unfit so get out train and and then go deadly man that's cool so hey come here before i let you go what's your plan after elvis this year man what's 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 coming up after that well providing that i I make it to the summit (laughs) um no bother to you man you know i'm I'm not one to to buy the the patch at the bottom ready for sewing it on i'll wait till i I summit and then i'll buy it on the way back down (laughs) yeah so i suppose after Touching Woods, um, after Get Elbrus, then I'll roll on to probably Aconcagua after that. I do I do want to chase the seven. I want to, I want to get them. And, you know, it, it sounds slightly contradictory to say I'm not a summit bagger, but I want to get the seven summits. It is more about that kind of the challenge that's there, the challenge of 
preparation and working towards them that I'm after, you know, rather than rather than putting my my foot in the top of Mount Everest. Yeah, well, as you said just just a few moments ago, like it's you're saying to people to make sure they're climbing these mountains for the right reasons, and it's whether it's seven summits or as a kid, like climbing seven little mounds in your backyard, and as long as it's what you want to do for the right reasons, then go for it, man. Absolutely no bother to you. So that was deadly, man. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a blast. Wicked, dude. Well, thanks so much and take it handy. Cool. Thanks for having me, man. All the All best. Right. Cheers. Bye-bye. This podcast was produced by Earth's Edge. We're a small business based in Ireland who organize big adventures all over the world. For more information about us and the trips discussed on this podcast, visit earths-edge.com or follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to be in the running to win one of our summit jackets. There's a link in the show notes. And while you're there, if you could subscribe and review the podcast, that'd be brilliant. I'm your host, James McManus. Thanks for listening and have a super week.